and we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 30. And let's read uh, together verses 8 through 11. It shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their neck, and I will tear off their bonds, and strangers will no longer make them their slaves. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, and do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. And Jacob will return and will be quiet and at ease, and no one will make him afraid. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only I will not destroy you completely, but I will chasten you justly. And I will by no means leave you unpunished. Well, I really struggled with what I should share tonight, but I feel burdened that there would be a word given to those tonight, perhaps, who do not know the Lord. And we can begin by noticing in the verses we've just read that there's something quite amazing. And that is that God is a God who saves from afar. You see, the nation of Israel, to whom these things were first given, was far from God. And this is very obvious in all the things that had been recorded in the book of Jeremiah up to this point. You don't need to turn with me, but in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, the Lord says that my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So first of all, these people had left God himself, the very source of life. And of course, this is a very great sin. But they had left God, secondly, and they had left him for absolutely nothing at all. That is, they had forsaken God, and they had turned to themselves, thinking that they would find life, but getting nothing at all. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Well, in subsequent chapters here in Jeremiah, we find that this same people had been utterly faithless to God, that they had been open in their sin against God. They had laid down openly in their shame. And in chapter 5, it says that they had made their faces harder than rock in the face of God's correction. God had come to them. He had urged them to turn away from their sin, and they had set their faces hard against him. And it says they had refused to repent. They had refused to, re to turn again. In chapter 9, it says they had rejected the word of the Lord. That's chapter 8. And an interesting question is, is asked by the Lord earlier in the text in chapter 2. The Lord asks, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? 
That's kind of a strange question. Can a woman on probably what is one of the most important days in her life forget to prepare herself for her wedding? Could you imagine that? That she would wake up and forget to adorn herself and make herself ready for the man that she's about to marry. And that's the question the Lord asks. And the answer is, my people have forgotten me. Except these people hadn't just forgotten the Lord one day, on one important day as it were. It says, my people have forgotten me days without number. Well, I would suggest to you that what was true of the nation of Israel at that time is the exact state that men find themselves now. That is, that men and women have forgotten God. That they have forgotten God, and so doing, they have been left to nothing at all. Well, you may think, or some might think, that this is kind of a harsh estimation of the state of mankind, but what does Scripture say here in verse 12 and 13? Let's read on here in Jeremiah 30. For thus says the Lord, your wound is incurable, and your injury is serious. There is no one to plead your cause, no healing for your sore, no recovery for you. You see, God does not say that mankind has a small problem. He says that it's a serious problem, that it's a terminal problem. He says it's an incurable problem. And most importantly, God says that you can't cure the problem yourself. You look to yourself, your lifeless self, and it's hopeless. Later on in this chapter, the Lord asked the question, who would dare to risk his life to approach me? So we see that mankind is unclean, unable to come to God. And that's the state of those who are outside of Jesus Christ. You're unfit for God. It reminds me of a recent patient, an alcoholic. <clears throat> his life was, was in desperate shape, and he mentioned to me that he was about to go into counseling for his, for his addiction, that he had been through counseling several times, but it had not worked out, and I asked him why this time should be any different. And his response to me was that, well, failure isn't an option. And to be honest, I quite agreed with him. Failure wasn't an option. It isn't an option. Left to himself, failure is a certainty. He's going to fail again just like he failed all the other times before. And that is your state today if you are outside of Jesus Christ. You cannot help yourself. You are dead in your sins. You're stuck there and you can't get out. Well, what about other people? That's the way the world would approach a problem. You can't pull yourself up by your own efforts. Well, isn't there a friend you have whose shoulder you can lean on? Surely your family or someone else can help you. That would be the modern counsel you would get in many, many circles. So can others help you? Well, God's answer is not no. Your friends cannot help you. God's answer is worse than that. God's answer is who? Who is there to help you? You turn to your left and to your right, and you see people that are there. And God looks and sees no one. He sees no one but you. <clears throat> Look at verse 14 
we see the state of man is that he is utterly and completely alone in his situation before God. That all the things that man has loved and in seeking those things has turned away from God, even those things themselves have forsaken man. All your lovers, all the things you've loved have forgotten you. They do not seek you, he says. Israel had been faithless to God, just like a wayward wife. She had left God thinking that she would find joy and peace and meaning in something other than God. And now where have all these things gone? She's all alone. And again, that is your state today. If you are outside of Jesus Christ, you are wounded you are alone, and you are far from God. This is exactly what the Bible says, that you are an enemy of God. In Romans chapter 5, that you are against him. In fact, your case today is even more serious than it was for these Jews. <clears throat> Ephesians 2 says that you are without hope and without God in the world. Well, we've been reading a couple of verses here about wounds. <clears throat> Verse uh, 14 and 15 go on here. It says, I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy. That's God speaking. With the punishment of a cruel one, because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous. Why do you cry out over your injury? Your pain is incurable. Because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous, I have done these things to you. So what are these wounds? Well, these wounds are not the wounds of sin, as you might expect. That would be the humanistic approach to the problem. What have I done? If only I can get rid of this or that, if only I can get it off of me, then I'll be well. That's not the issue, but that is where we often start. That's where modern psychology starts. It starts with man and his problem. But you cannot start with you in the most significant problem you will ever have. These are not the wounds of sin. These are the punishment for sin. The Lord says, because your iniquity is great, I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy. Because your iniquity is great, I have done these things to you. This is not the human position. This is the Godward position. Not what I have done, but against whom have I done. You start with the creator rather than the creation. And I think this is an important distinction because the real problem that you have if you're outside of Jesus Christ is not that you do things or don't do things, and so sin, as though these are abstract moral things floating around independently in space. The problem is a fence against the person of God. The problem is God himself, that he is the one who has wounded you for your sins and has called it just, as we read earlier in verse 11. I will chasten you justly because your iniquity is great. And the iniquity is great 
because it is against God. Well, practically speaking, you can't see your wounds, but you know that they're there. You see, the primary way that God wounds people, that is, the way that God makes people conscious of their sin, makes them feel the gravity of their sin, is by taking away from them the capacity to enter into things which can only be known by knowing God. So he removes the capacity for true joy. He removes the capacity for peace. Men suppress truth in their sin against God, so God hides truth from them. He gives men over to sin, to a depraved mind, like it says in Romans 1. He gives them into slavery to sin. Well, I mentioned uh, how God removes the capacity for joy, and that is a recurrent theme in the book of Jeremiah at least three times in chapter 7, in chapter 16, in chapter 25, the Lord says that he will make to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. God takes away joy because of sin. He takes away peace and our compass for existence because our sin against God is great. Well, the full reality is that everyone here came into the world wounded because we were all born sinners in violation of God's holiness. And we know that although we are made in the image of God, that is, that God's image is stamped into us that we cannot go on in rebellion against God and live. So the ultimate end is death. The payment for sin, the wages of sin, is death. And so the image of God departs from a man forever in hell. And you see that the ultimate wound, the final punishment, is complete separation from God. That is the final end. God departed. And yet, we've begun by the verse in Jeremiah 30, verse 10, which says, Behold, I will save you from afar. And that's the incredible thing. God says that you have an incurable case, but there is a cure. And I would say this is one of the, one of the greatest passages of scriptures because in it we see, on one hand, the holy, just character of God and that he cannot, exhort, he cannot ignore sin. Verse 11, I will chasten you justly and will by no means leave you unpunished, and yet there is mercy in justice. God is a God who saves from afar. Well, you say, well, how can this be? God has said that your wound is incurable, that your injury is serious. He says that you're left to yourself. There is no one to help you. Moreover, he says that because of your sin, it's not just that you have wounds, but that you are wounded 
That's the real problem, that God has wounded you. But then we come down without any warning or fanfare in the passage. We come to the word therefore. And we see that exactly because you are so helpless, because your case is so severe, God comes unexpectedly, he comes suddenly, and he brings deliverance, and he says, therefore, all who devour you will be devoured, and all your adversaries, every one of them, will go into captivity, and those who plunder you will be for plunder, and all who pray, who pray upon you I will give for prey. It's, it's absolutely amazing. God is suddenly turning everything back. All of a sudden, the God who wounds becomes the God who heals. Verse 17, For I will restore to you health, and I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. The only answer for this mystery in the character of God, the only explanation for the mercy of God to sinners in the face of God's holiness is the person of Jesus Christ. That 2,000 years ago, God took upon himself humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. That he lived a perfect life. That he was willingly wounded for sinners that he died in our place. Isaiah 53.5 says, He was wounded through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. We read earlier, the Lord says, I will chasten you justly. God's chastening was put on Jesus Christ. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. For I will restore you to health, and I will heal you of your wounds. If you're in Jesus Christ, the wounds have been lifted off of you and have been put on Jesus Christ. He was wounded through for our transgressions, and by his scourging we are healed. In Jeremiah 33, we see this this is all of God. The emphasis is, is so obvious in Jeremiah chapter 33, where the Lord says, I will heal, I will restore, I will cleanse, I will pardon. And more than that, the grace of God is always more than you would expect, above and beyond. The, Jeremiah 33 goes on to say, Yet again, there will be heard in this place the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who say, Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. Well, why does God heal? 
this passage here really skips over that, that question. And all we're left with is just a glimpse regarding the fact that God is a God of compassion. Let me read verse 17 again here in Jeremiah 30. For I will restore you to health, and I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. Why? Because they have called you an outcast. See, the Lord comes to sinners, and he sees the sinner isolated, destitute, uh, hopeless, and he hears the call of the adversary there, slandering God, and he feels compassion for the sinner and zeal for his own glory. When our enemies say, it is Zion, no one cares for her, God doesn't care. You're left alone. You're left to yourself. Well, that is not God's position. God sees our helpless state, and he comes to us in Jesus Christ. He comes to sinners, and he says that he will put his laws into our minds. That's the incredible thing. God doesn't just come to us. He comes into us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He writes his laws on our hearts. He says that he'll be merciful to our iniquities and will remember them no more. The Spirit comes in and with the, with the Spirit comes the proof and that is love, joy, peace, patience. All the things that men know exist that they're seeking outside of God come with God because they have God himself. God saves men who are far from him, men that he has wounded and put far from him. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No one is beyond the reach of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved from the just wrath of of God against you. Well, there may be some here tonight who, despite having been here week after week, listening to meeting after meeting, who are still unbelieving and far from God. But the truth is that no matter your state, you are not so far from God that his arm cannot reach you. Seek the Lord. Turn from your sin. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He appears to men from afar, it says in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. May the Lord give each of us here the, the power by his spirit to turn to Jesus Christ who is the only cure for the incurable sinner. Amen.